I, I, I worked really hard growing up, you know, working on a ranch is difficult work. We had a couple of thousand angora goats, a bunch of cattle, seven sections of land. It was very hard physically on my family. And so I, I was wanting to find something a little bit easier physically for myself. The irony is, is that I work full time and I'm choosing to have this career as an artist 40 plus hours in addition. Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. We are talking with Tim Eads, whose project, The Taxonomy of Trash, is on view at Delaware Center for Contemporary Art. And we're at Tim's studio in Philadelphia. So what is it about trash that makes artists want to use it for their art? You know, I think for myself was coming across objects that I was um, kind of drawn to sculpturally. I am fascinated by these, uh, just the different shapes and different kinds of things, as well as the origin. So the objects that I, I choose for this project are definitely curated in a way. So I, I'm not picking up every single object that we come across. I'm, I'm choosing which objects go into that collection we analyze. And where do you come across these objects? Um, up until this point, it's primarily been at the Revolution Recovery, which is um, in the Taconi part of Philadelphia. And what uh, is that? The, it's actually a recycling center primarily for construction waste. However, they have a, an, an artist residency called RARE, the Recycled Artist in Residency who uh, Billy DeFalla started with Fern Gukin. And basically it's a place where artists can go and make typically large-scale temporary work. So the all the trash or whatever they construct the thing at goes back into uh, the recycling stream. And what are the criteria for saying yes to this piece, no to that piece of trash? Um, yeah, give us an example of something you deselected and said no to and something you said yes to. Well, I think, honestly, well, I chose to do generally a, a photographic project. So really, the things that look great in photograph were objects that I was drawn to. Is it a photo show that's down at DCCA? There's, we collected new objects for the, for the exhibition, so there's probably a couple hundred objects that cover two walls. There are prints, as well as this mobile laboratory that we built using Kickstarter money. Uh, the mobile laboratory is basically a bicycle-operated um, lab that we can bike around, collect trash. There's uh, everything that we need to, to photograph it, sort of analyze it, and do this kind of thing. Um, there's speakers, so we can play some of the sounds after the... So the objects get... Uh, the sound recordings are done from the objects. Um, For example? Like there's a, a phone book or a piece of cardboard that these, you know, these are, you know, sound recordings are done by hitting or bouncing or tapping. So all, all these uh, objects have, you know, resonate different sounds. Do you think of them as music? Or is it like noise music? Or what was the idea behind recording them? trying to expand that visual field slightly and trying to, to see if there's something that that object has to offer us outside of just looking nice. And can you give us an example of an object that you thought looked beautiful? One of my favorite objects is a shop vac. So it's one of those like 25-gallon or 15-gallon uh, shop vac, the yellow ones, and it's completely smashed in a way it's probably only four inches thick. 
so it's completely flattened. There's another object that's a five-gallon paint container that has a lid and the drain rack and the roller, and it's all smashed into this kind of two-inch thing. So it's all of these three-dimensional objects that have become flat. I, I think it's kind of funny. You are a, a sculptor and a maker of objects, and mm -hmm. here you are taking discarded objects, shop vacs that have been smashed to four inches of their lives. So talk about making versus destroying. Do you ever destroy your own work? I mean, generally, I don't. I would say I, I don't destroy things. I think, you know, part of my interest in that project is that something else has destroyed it. But you do have a history, just to follow up mm -hmm. on this, of reusing recycled materials. We remember a piece that we saw that you were making a butter churn. Right. Explain how that worked. That was a very magical piece. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, that butter bike started out as an old, dirty, black, recumbent bicycle. And, you know, I turned, painted it yellow and, you know, did all these modifications to it, made printed fabric for the upholstery. So there is a, sort of an extraordinary amount of refinement that I put into those works. So even if it does start out as the skeleton of something found, I you know, typically spend a lot of time, you know, making it really refined. And then the, the whole impulse to make butter mm -hmm. from this found object, you were churning butter right. using pedal powered and whatnot. It seems very optimistic in a way. So do you think that the whole trash project has some optimism in it since people generally think of discards as pessimistic I think that's what I'm, I'm and hoping. landfills are bad? Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for in a way is really capturing the beauty of these things, whether it be in photograph or sound or categorization. It's really, you know, we do want to present these as, as interesting things. Try does, to enjoy it. It does have a sense of humor. And mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking that that's a fairly strong thread in your work. Mm -hmm. um, you grew up on a, on a farm in Texas. Um, could you relate somehow that background to the humor and the labor? I, I I worked really hard growing up. You know, working on a ranch is difficult work. We had a couple of thousand angora goats, a bunch of cattle, seven sections of land. We're always working on windmills. And so in a way, I wanted to leave that sort of lifestyle because I, I could see how it was very hard physically on my family. And so I, I was wanting to find something a little bit easier physically for myself. The irony is, is that I work full time and I'm choosing to have this career as an artist, which means a lot of times 40 plus hours in addition to the 40 hour week at, at the job, at the 40? day job. Where, where's at the, the Fabric Workshop and Museum. So you're, in effect, you're an urban rancher now. In effect, I'm an urban <laughs> rancher. Yeah, in effect, I'm, I'm, it turns out that I'm, I am who I am. I have become successful, I think, as an artist, and it keeps um, growing because I can't stop. And can you define what you mean by successful as an artist? Because it means different things to different people. Well, that's, yeah, that's such a hard thing. I, I go back and forth between 
oh, it has to be a certain percentage of my income every year based on that, or it has to be this. But then if I go to a really small college in the middle of Philadelphia or the middle of Pennsylvania to have a discussion about, you know, what it means to be an artist, they're completely fascinated and they look at me as like I'm success, like I'm done. However, on, on my path, I'm far from that point. So where are you going? Well, this is the big thing. As, as, a, as a person that is an achiever and someone that can't stop, I think there, there isn't an end goal in a way. So you mentioned community. Can you tell us a little bit about the space that we're in and the community that it is? Yeah, this is, we call it Hope Street Social Club right now. Everybody keeps calling it or continues to call it Flux Space. Um, that's what it's known for. So Flux Space Gallery was started... It was an art collective that lasted for a little over five years, I think. And I found it through, um, you know, I moved to Philadelphia and was looking for shows. So I applied, had a solo show, that's where the butter bike. And so, you know, was was first shown. So I moved into this exact studio and have been here ever since. And, you know, they've moved on and, and we keep in touch. But the community, I think... It's a roller coaster here, but right now there's a lot of people in that community is still here. So let's switch gears a tiny bit and find out about your art education background and who your influences are. So where did you go to undergrad and grad? And I that? went to undergrad um, at Texas Tech University in Lubbock. So I grew up in West Texas between Lubbock and Midland. And... I actually my my undergrad degree is in graphic design, which I I did was a graphic designer professionally for six years or more. I got tired of that, bored of that, so I went back to school, got my teaching certification, K through twelve art, and taught both junior high and high school over the course of five years. At that point, I think I was I was teaching art, working on ceramics, so I just decided to try to, you know, expand that a little by going to grad school. So that's when I got into Cranbrook for ceramics, um, which is really interesting thinking about it now because I don't use ceramics at all. Um, so Did you use ceramics at Cranbrook, though? I did for about a year, almost a year. I mean, the thing is, growing up on a ranch and constantly building and making, and uh, that came very naturally for me. So I think doing ceramics and doing screen printing, which I was also doing a lot of at the time, I was really trying to make art. My arts and residence at Cranbrook really impressed upon me and us that discovering who you are as a person is much more important than finding out what you should be making as as an artist. And and when you find out who you are as a person, it kind of naturally, you know, takes takes shape into your work. Who gave you that great advice? Uh, Tony Hepburn. Tell us about two new commission pieces that you have that are coming up really soon in yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah, so, um, well, I'm currently working on, um, I'm an artist in residence at the Police Touch Museum. It's a megaphone piece that relates directly to the piece that I did at Bartram's Garden for Switched On Garden. It's kind of delving a little bit more into this, uh, my love for sound or this interest in sound. So it's a, a large-scale megaphone that has a speaker in the end, and it has all these funny little cranks it's going to have and buttons and things like that. So the kids will be able to touch those and crank and do all these things, and the sounds will be magnified through this, this megaphone. 
So it's kind of this mechanical sound making device. Giant megaphone? Yeah, it's about eight feet tall and four feet in diameter. Um, I'm also working on a piece, a couple of benches for Little Berlin for their uh, fairgrounds project that they got funding on the Knight Foundation. So they commissioned me to make a couple of benches. So it's these, I guess, functional things, but definitely have a little of the sculptural, my flair to those. They kind of look like Saul LeWitt, actually. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> what do you think about selling your work? Apart from getting a commission, how are sales? Sales? I know you've been at the, um, what's that hotel that, Oh, the Meridian. The Meridian. Right. And you had some luminous, right, right. backlit, rather graphic design pieces. Right, right. Did those sell? None of those sold. However, I did I mean, this is, I, I did sell a piece. Um, well, I got collected by the West Collection last year. And I did sell one of the illuminated prints at my show at Rebecca Templeton. You know, it's it's that thing where I can't really complain because... All the work that I'm making right now is paid for. So I may not be making money, but, you know, the all the, the materials and things for the Police Touch project, that's all paid for. The taxonomy of trash, we got funding on Kickstarter for $7,500. So we published a book, did the show, made the bike, did all that. So that was all paid for. The benches are paid for. So for the last probably year and a half or two years... Every single piece that I've made is paid for by somebody else's budget. But as far as like making dump trucks full of money and, <laughs> and being able to quit my job at the fabric workshop, that's I'm not there yet. And would you want to quit the job? I mean, some people like to be in a community, and the fabric workshop is also a community. It's definitely a community, and I've learned so much from, from that. Um, I think... What I'm looking for is, because I do need a, a break, and I'm not getting younger. Um, actually, How old are you? My Actually, my birthday was on Sunday. I'm 37. Happy so, birthday. Congratulations. So essentially, I am looking for, I, I know if I just quit that job, I'm probably going to get bored just knowing who I am. What I want it to be is a little relief, be able to spend more time in my studio during kind of general waking hours during the day when my mind is most active and spend a little less time at the second job. We've been speaking with Tim Eads. Thank you, Tim. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks, guys. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.